When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey listeners, and welcome back. It's so good to be back with a new set of sailing interviews for you. It will be a fun season with lots of different kinds of stories from all over the world. Special thank you to my Patreons who are supporting the show on a monthly basis in exchange for some extra content and behind-the-scenes updates. If you find value in the show, please consider joining this lovely group of people. Just check out the link in the description or go to patreon.com forward slash liverboard sailing podcast. And another quick shout out before we get to the show, and that goes to Darren and Amanda from Outer Passage. They are past podcast guests, and I met them in person when I went sailing with them in Maine. We had a lot of fun, and it was a really great taste of the liverboard life. If you are interested in sailing with Outer Passage, check out their website that I've linked in the description. They have some trips coming up in the Caribbean next, and Darren and Amanda have kindly extended a discount to all you listeners, so just mention this podcast and you will get 10% off your trip. Okay, now on with the show. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. Maybe we should do the cliff notes on that first year because yeah. we made every mistake in the book. Yeah. Uh, luckily, they were they were micro mistakes. Right. They were warning mistakes. They were like, "Hey, okay, mm-hmm. this is this is something you got to pay extra careful attention to." Welcome to the podcast. I am your host Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. We will start this season with an inspirational story of a couple who wanted to explore the world and who went out and did just that. My guests are Warren and Erica behind the YouTube channel We Sail. 
They talk us through their story of how they went from having margaritas on a beach in Mexico and getting the idea of sailing in their heads to owning a sailboat in two years. So far, they've sailed from the Caribbean to French Polynesia, and we talk about the whole boat buying process, the mistakes they've made in their first year as new sailors, and their trip across the Pacific. Now here we go with Warren and Erica. So you have done some really amazing things on your sailing journey so far. But before we get to all of that, let's talk a little bit about the time before you were sailors. So what were your lives like back in Colorado? I guess you could say pretty normal uh, land life. We both had our jobs and uh, we were living in the city of Denver and we were finishing a project on our house. Warren was a, he's a general contractor. He builds homes. So that was kind of our project before the sailing project, basically. Um, and what afforded us to do this. Yeah. We'll get to that, but yeah, um, that helps. But yeah, finishing our homes, he was building homes. And then I was working at a travel company in, in Denver and, you know, we'd spend the weekends, whether it's summer, winter, up in the mountains, very activity oriented and yeah, I guess you could say it was pretty normal lifestyle. Not a lot of sailing in Colorado, I will add. Um, no. there, there's there's a few lakes that people take it pretty serious, but they're not live aboard sailboats at all. Um, and we we neither one of us had really done any sailing. We didn't have any sailing knowledge. Not that we had never been on a sailboat, but we had very little. Eric, almost none. No experience. And I. Not. I did sail with a professor of mine in college in Santa Cruz on the West Coast, California. Um, I sailed with him a handful of times, and he um, probably let me have more control than I was ready for because all he wanted to do was fish, actually. So I got a little bit of experience handling a sailboat, but that was it. So so to be 100% honest, we really had no... We were mountain kids. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. We did not have any sailing experience yeah. prior to leaving. Well, okay, so you were living in this beautiful town in Colorado with all the almost all the outdoor activities available to you, little sailing experience. How did you end up living on a boat? Where did that idea come from? Like, let's buy a boat and, you know, start sailing. Uh, I mean, like, really anything. It's uh, having margaritas on a beach in Mexico is really how the story started. <laughs> that is quite true. Um, it had been a little secret dream of mine um, since my 20s when I took a surf trip to Mexico and I met a an expat, uh, an American, and he wasn't much older than I am now. And he was living on his sailboat in Mexico, taking people out on little day trips to, to surf or to swim or to just enjoy margaritas and watch the sunset. And he was, he was making a living doing this just a few times a week and living in Mexico and paying for his lifestyle down there. And I remember thinking at the time, Someday, I would be absolutely fine taking the winners off from work and going and doing that, or maybe even doing it full time. And so, like Erica said, we were sitting on a beach in Mexico drinking margaritas, actually in a hammock. Yeah. A sailboat went by, and I, and I mentioned to her this, this yeah. dream, and there was almost no, no hesitation, hesitation or like pushback. <laughs> it was basically just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I could do that. I'm in. When? when? <laughs> so that's, that's in a in a sense, how the dream started. That's amazing. And uh, interestingly, you are not the only guest of mine who have had that exact same idea 
on a beach in Mexico drinking margaritas. Oh, I think you're the second people the who's... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, definitely. So watch out if you're going on a beach holiday in Mexico. <laughs> right? Yeah, you never know what's going to transpire. <laughs> exactly. So how long from that, like, yeah, let's go sailing, was it till you actually went sailing and bought a boat? I would say it was fairly quick yeah. as far as like once the idea was set in our heads and um, making everything happen. Uh, Warren is very much like, uh, let's get things done. I have this yeah. idea. I'm not going to give it up. Let's let's make ha moves happen. And uh, ironically enough, while we were on that trip in Mexico, I had just gotten a job offer um, for something I was really looking forward to doing. And I had accepted and I said yes. And so um, Warren was like, well, I mean, how long in this job do you really want to be? He's like six months. I was like, okay, so you really want this to go happen now. But it was about a two year time span of us really, really focusing, working hard at saving up some money. Um, Warren went and looked pretty much every morning, every night on any boat advertisements or Platform. classifieds or platforms to, to find the right boat for us. Cause we actually hadn't had much boat experience prior, nor had we been on many different boats to know what we wanted. Yeah, we we actually had that. That was our New Year's in Mexico. And then by April, we were going to the Miami Boat Show and starting to step on boats. So I'm not one to linger. If we're going to do it, let's just do it. <laughs> there, just we're not going to talk about it for the next five or 10 years yeah, and yeah. dream about it. If it's possible and we put it out there and the universe helps, which it definitely did, well, then we're going to yeah. make it happen. We're going to let it happen. And and that's exactly how it went down. And in those quick. two years as well, Warren was turning 40 and we wanted to plan kind of a really big 40th birthday trip. So we got a group of friends and we ended up chartering um, the same exact boat practically that we first bought in Croatia. And as soon as we got on the boat, I mean, Warren and I both looked at each other and said, yeah, this, this, this is, is kind of what we want to do. This could work. <laughs> <laughs> so it was solidified after that trip as well that we really wanted to get the things going and make it happen as quickly as possible. Yep. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense because one of my questions was like, well, if you didn't know what you wanted, how did you boat shop? And I found it very useful to just, you know, read all the uh, boat listings and try to understand what might be nice but it's so different once you actually get on the boats and be like oh actually i i hate this feature on a boat i don't want it on mine <laughs> yeah i mean to start i think the first thing is to know like okay do you want a monohull or do you want a catamaran and i always had this image you know the monohull and you're healed over and you're living on a tilt for your your majority of your life and what we know now, obviously, things are a little different, but I had it in my head, if we, if we were going to go long term and, and live on this boat, I really wanted comfort. And that's what a catamaran offered initially. And then we just then the next question was like, well, what's our budget allow us to get? And I think a big mistake, too, was going to the Miami Boat Show. And they obviously on display all the new boats. So Warren and I are walking around and I'm really getting this like idea in my head. This is it. She was falling in love. Oh, completely. And then he says, well, hon, I just want you to know this is not within our budget. And I said, well, why did you bring me here? Because <laughs> now I have it stuck in my head. This is what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Boat is going to be dangerous for sure. Because you see all the, the, the best of the best way it could be. Right. Yeah. 
Well, interesting then. At some point you realize, like, okay, okay, let's scale it down a little bit, get maybe a little bit of an older boat. And I do want to hear about uh, why you ended up getting, but you referenced earlier that you were in construction and that partially allowed you to make this dream happen. And you had a fairly tight timeline for a couple of years. So how did you actually make this whole thing happen? Obviously, you're two professionals working, saving, all that, but I'm sure there's more to it. It's a good question. Actually, we... um we took we started taking a lot of things really serious our credit and any debt that we had was one of the first things that we wanted to eliminate and so we expediated any sort of car payment that we had and we paid everything off the only we within I just sold my car i think yeah, i don't yeah, even need it living exactly. in the city anymore um we 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 yeah exactly that's a good example we backed out on things that we didn't need um we cut back going out and eliminated all our debt. And within six months, I think the only thing, the only actual debt we had was our mortgage, which is really a positive thing. I think for Warren, specifically with construction, since he was so skilled in that, and we were in the middle of redoing our home, um, that goal, so the first goal was to get this house finished and in a state where um, we could either sell or rent it. And so that was the next kind of step for us. And with Warren doing that, he was able to not take out any sort of construction loans to finish the the house. So that was really huge. And then from there, we considered what our options would be if we were going to move on to a boat or how we could afford the purchase of the boat. Was it going to sell the house or was it to, to rent it? And I think that's where the direction we ended up going was deciding to rent the home. And then we did what you call a uh, cash out cash refi. Out refi. So, so that's basically the guts of how we ended up able to buy a boat because neither one of us had any sort of savings, savings account that would yeah. or uh, or a trust fund, trust fund anything, that would like, allow us to do that. Yeah, we didn't come into money or no. something like that, but we eliminated all the debt and we were able to finish the house. And we did a cash out refi on the house because we had so much equity in it. We had doubled the square footage and probably tripled the worth really at the end of the day. So we had a large amount that we could, a big reserve on the house. So we took a cash out refi and that paid for the boat. And then we rented the house when we were, when we moved out and when we moved aboard, we rented the house and that was the money that we live on currently. Right. And that's such a, such a smart strategy. A, you're using your own skills that you don't need to pay for. And it still keeps giving you money. Uh, rather, of course, you would have got a nice chunk of selling it as well. But uh, now you have a consistent income, which I'm sure will be quite handy as you uh, keep going for years and years like you guys have done. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a daunting step to take in your life in your, you know, mid 30s and 40s and deciding to completely transition. And so for us, um, while I think the value of the house would have been nice to sell at that point, and we ended up actually selling the house even just recently, um, but to not really know if if this lifestyle was for us and to completely step away from land. So it gave us that comfort knowing like if this isn't going to work out, if we don't like it or one of us is just not into it, at least we still had our home to go back to because that would have been a scary thing and like, well, we absolutely sold everything we own. We have nothing left no on land. Net. Yeah. And now we're stuck with this boat that is like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a big jump for sure. And having that little safety net is quite, quite nice because like you said, 
maybe it doesn't turn out or you know maybe it's not what you pictured if you don't have a ton of experience going into it maybe you realize that after a couple of months or a few months like eh, okay well we tried it that's it <laughs> so Okay, so you mentioned that you had a relatively little experience, a little bit of chartering experience uh, on a catamaran. So your first year of sailing, that must have been quite the learning curve. It was a mess. <laughs> so glad to hear you say that. That's, that's strangely reassuring. Is there anything that kind of still stands out to you? Like, well, that was a, a lesson learned for sure. So many. Oh yeah, so many. How, how much time do we have on this podcast? <laughs> Maybe we should do the cliff notes on that first year because yeah. we made every mistake in the book. Yeah. Uh, luckily, they were they were micro mistakes. Right. They were warning mistakes. They were like, "Hey, okay, mm -hmm. this is this is something you got to pay extra careful attention to." And we also, you know, you you can learn to fly. You can learn to build a house. You the whole thing is that you just bite off what you can chew. I keep mm -hmm. I say this time and time again to people asking the same question about learning to sail sail. Do we have to take lessons? You know, all that. No, you don't. I mean, you, don't you can. Have to, um, you can. Yeah. We were blessed in that we started in the Caribbean, which is a very forgiving area of the world to sail in for several reasons. The winds are consistent. The weather is consistent. There's great um, wind prediction models in that area. The sailing community is huge. Yeah. The support um, from other boaters, the uh, availability of parts through, um, you know, many good boat stores or channeleries and the day hops like each, yes each island country is yep. within a day sail of each other yep. and so that made it really easy to just not completely lose sight of land right yep. away exactly it was so easy to just do these little day sail hops mm -hmm. and kind of get our feet wet a number of times before we ever had to bite off any any sizable passages mm -hmm. um, so it was a great area to learn and and uh we just we, we took it we took it slowly, honestly. And I think that even though we made a lot of mistakes, the entire time we were safe. We weren't reckless um, or, or unsafe at any point, even though we ran aground, we um, flipped our dinghy because we didn't lift it all the way. You know, we had ropes in the props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fishing yeah, exactly. lines in the props, yep. forgetting that we were fishing and we had to reverse or something yep. like that. Or yep. Yeah, we um, busted through a couple halyards. We you know, lost a couple issues. knots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anchoring issues. Um, but we took it very serious, and we had done a lot of research before. We had watched a lot of YouTube. It sounds crazy when you're moving aboard and you say that you learn to sail and live this lifestyle on YouTube, YouTube. But you you can do a lot of research and yeah. and get a lot under your belt um, mm -hmm. by doing so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the YouTube university or just by, yeah. you know, years yeah. of watching other people who do it like, no, that's exactly it. And how was buying a boat in the Caribbean? Did you buy it before you saw it? Or did you just um, yeah, boat shop locally? Actually, we did. <laughs> I don't think we did it the conventional way no, at all by any means are, you know, moving aboard. Um, we initially found a boat that we really wanted it was in the med in Montenegro and Warren ended up flying there and doing the whole survey, checking it out and seeing if it was a fit. And it was, it was a feeling, honestly, once Warren got there, he said, this doesn't feel like the one. And I think if you're going to make that choice, if you're going to pick a boat, it's a huge expense and you really want to make sure it's the right one for you. So you want to be in love. Yeah. He flew there. Um, 
And then also during this time, it was when Hurricane Irma had hit the Caribbean and then Maria. So we had basically, we had the funds, we had saved up, we were ready to actually pull the trigger and buy the boat. And then the hurricanes hit. And that was just something that also, um, there was nothing available at that point for us. It wiped out a huge um, number of boats down there. So mm -hmm. the available number of boats. Inventory basically. Dropped out. Was gone. And all of a sudden we, you know, we had no boats to choose from. So when the one in Montenegro came up, it was the we only one that like jumped on. Yeah, it. we did. It was the only boat that we had seen um, in our price range and the year range that we were hoping for um, on the market in three or four months. So yeah, I booked a ticket and we were over there the next, I was over there the next week and yeah, it just wasn't right. And at that same point, while he was in Montenegro, again, like Warren every morning and every evening was like looking at yachting world, just making sure if there was something there that we wanted to jump on it. Cause I mean, you see it now even more so too. You see a boat on the market and it's already under contract. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think it's the real estate world as well. But um, while in Montenegro, Warren had to make a decision saying, you know, this boat is, it's lovely. It's everything, but it's not exactly the right fit for us. What do we do? There is another boat that I just found in Martinique and it's, it ticks all of our boxes. It's exactly what we want. The location is where we want to start but it is a little bit further outside of our budget. Um, what do we do? Do we let this one go in Montenegro and you know see if we can't work a little harder and save up more money in Martinique? And that's where the boat was. And that's what we ended up doing is saving up a little bit more, working our butts off um, to get this other boat that we ended up getting. Um, and it was great. It was a perfect boat for us to start with. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, we backed out of the boat in Mar. Montenegro. Montenegro, simply because even if we didn't get the boat in Martinique, it at least was a sign that, you know, there is other boats out there and we just have to be patient. So we did back out of the one in Montenegro, not even knowing, actually assuming that we were not going to get the boat in Martinique, Martinique because of the price. It was $40,000. It listed $40,000 out of our price range, out of our, our initial budget, our hard, Late, yeah. you know, line. And I had been in touch with the um, listing broker a number of times, and he was a wonderful French man out of Martinique, and he was very helpful, even though he knew. I told him right away, I don't have that kind of money. I'm not going to be able to get your boat, but I you know, certainly want to know if you have anything else on your plate that might be coming, being listed and just kind of getting that ball rolling. And after almost a month, I think, um, he ended up contacting me and saying, hey, what could you go any – our hard – Path. Our hard line was three hundred thousand is what we had to spend, and we had another ten or twenty in savings, like a reserve, a reserve emergency. that we were going to use for traveling and everything else. So, after a month, um, he didn't have any movement on the boat, oddly, and we hadn't seen any other boats hit the market, so the inventory was still quite low. Um, he ended up calling me actually and saying, "What is your what is your top dollar that you could go on this boat?" Um, because I'm going to ask the owners if they could drop the price. And I said, my, my hard line is 300,000. I, I, I will, I could give up for this boat and it had everything on it. It had, it was built. It was loved. It was a liveaboard. Yeah. It was a liveaboard yeah. boat with everything that we needed. Uh, I said, I could go to 310, 310,000. We'll dip into our savings and somehow make it work. And amazingly it worked out and we ended up getting that boat for 310. We dipped into savings 
I took on another few quick jobs that just, I mean, the universe, we keep mentioning this, mm-hmm. came through on this one. And I got a couple last minute jobs um, that kind of stretched into our departure a little bit, postponed our departure by very little. And I, we ended up getting the money. We had a lot of uh, garage sales and Lots of that. sold everything. <laughs> so it worked oh, out. That's amazing. Uh, when you went to see the boat in Montenegro, had you were you like an um, conditional offer or a conditional we contract we, on it, and you just yeah. were able to pull out? Yeah, yeah, it was a little. I don't know. So we ended up buying the boat without a broker. Also, yeah, okay. Why did we didn't answer your question? Sorry. I went to Montenegro. Uh, we were completely under contract. We were able to back out because there were some issues with the boat that it it did need a few things. And I told the broker, I was like, these things for sure would have to be addressed before I bought, before I even considered buying this boat. Mm-hmm. And she responded to me that she had a bunch of other people on the line and very interested in the boat if I didn't want it. So we both mutually so agree. Mutual yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm not interested in the boat. She goes, great. I have other people that are, let's just call it quits. So I spent the last three days in Montenegro driving around, loving getting to see the, one of the most beautiful places in the world. So then when we went under contract with the boat in Martinique, we did buy it sight unseen because mm-hmm. we had video chats with the yeah. owner. And after being, this was the hundredth boat that we had actually stepped on and probably the thousand, thousands, thousands, <laughs> since boat that we had viewed online and I, you can you get to a point where you can kind of tell the level that it's at the quality that you know that how much care was taken on the boat and the condition of the boat so we did buy it sight unseen yes. um yeah but, that was yeah. your initial question actually yeah, yeah that's right sorry, we- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's all super helpful information because I've been looking at boats and most all of them are somewhere further away and they go so quickly. We've literally had, we've seen boats on Yacht World and we call them the next day and they're like, we already have two full price offers on this, so we're not going to accept like a dollar less unless you're doing a full price. Like it's already gone. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. We have a funny story about how we sold that boat to yes. when it comes up. <laughs> Ooh, let's get into it. We're, we're in the boat shopping. Let, let's talk about, well, first of all, let's see, what did you actually buy in Martinique? What was it? So we bought uh, a 2014 Fontaine Peugeot. Um, they call it the Evolution or the Maestro version, which is the owner's um, cabin. So it's a three cabin, uh, two heads, and 40-foot Lepari. She was perfect starter boat for us um yeah everything about it very simplified setup for sailing mm-hmm. um it was possible for one person to be at the helm and yep. kind of you know do some tacking or hoist the sails by themselves yep. so she was comfortable she was outfitted with everything that we wanted to start with um we loved it we was yeah. it was a great boat so yeah we had a, a fontaine peugeot and we've always i've always loved the aesthetics of a fontaine peugeot um, we stepped on a few other catamarans many as others. well, many, and many I've always gravitated towards the the FPs. I've really liked their setup. It it feels very much home to us, um, while also also being on the sea. <laughs> They're just sexy, and when you're <laughs> when you're gonna live and love a boat, you ought to be you know you ought to be in love with it. You ought to you know have feelings towards it. And uh, so the the Fontaine Pajos are the ones that we think always 
feel the best. They, mm-hmm. I think they look the coolest. I, I know that the quality is right up there with, you know, all the other production, if not even a little better than some of the other production boats. Mm-hmm. And we like the, the finishes on the inside and the layouts. And that's what's important when you're really going to live on it. Fully. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi. Yeah, all right. So you buy the boat of your dreams. It all works out. You learn to sell, you live on it. Why did you sell it? (laughs) Why the change? You have a different boat now. Right? Uh, So we sailed on our first boat, Evelias, for two years. Um, And then when we crossed the Panama Canal with intentions of coming to the South Pacific initially, and then obviously COVID derailed a lot of that for us and so many others, um, we ended up sailing up to the Sea of Cortez, which was an incredible second option, obviously. Uh, we loved it there. And at that point, while we're in the Sea of Cortez, we ended up meeting um, another couple who owned a Helia, a, a Fontaine Pajot as well, a Helia, which is uh, 44 feet. So about four, four feet. feet longer and two feet wider than our original boat. And so you'd think initially that's not much difference, but... Um, in boat, in boat world, in boat language, four feet is, you, it's double the boat. Yeah. It's a lot different. So. Especially we, on a catamaran. We met this couple, very sweet. They had actually, small world, the sailing world is really small too. Can be, yeah. They, um, they sailed with the original owners of our first boat. So they knew of them. They traveled with them a little bit. They both started in the med straight out of um, La Rochelle in France. And so when we got there, that was kind of like our connection. We met them and we had, um, a du- you know, one degree of separation with another couple that they mm-hmm. knew. And at one point we went out and had dinner with them and they started talking what they were doing and they decided that they were going to put their circumnavigation sailing uh, life on hold and stop and sell the boat. Can I interject? Yeah. Um, just to go back when we were in the Caribbean, we, met so many lovely people and we're on, you know, a dozen, a handful of other boats, monohulls, catamarans. And the one that we always, always, every time we stepped on it, we're like, whoa, this is living. Again, when we grow up, this one. (laughs) When we grow up, we're going to graduate to this boat. It was the Helia. It's the 44. It's what we're on now. So every time that we ended up on a friend's boat that had a Helia, we were like, wow, this is really something. So it really spoke to us. And so fast forward to Mexico. Go ahead. And then we're with this couple and they just mentioned to us that they were thinking of selling the boat. And we both Warren and I, without hesitation, looked at each other and we like, were like, 
Okay, Hold this, on. this could be it. Um, so we looked at each other without any words and then looked at the, the couple we're at. We're like, well, if you do end up selling your boat, please we consider us to list. be the ones that, that buy it. And so they're like, okay. And, and they weren't quite sure at the time. And, and what, then what, what it coincided yeah. with, Erica kind of mentioned this um, briefly a minute ago when she said we actually ended up selling our house that we have talked so much about being our link to being able to do this. Um, when we rented that house, this is kind of getting into some minute details, but after you rent your house for three years, it turns into an income property, which means that it's taxed differently when you sell it. So if we were able to sell that house, which remember had tripled in value, if we were able to sell it prior to those three years, it was our primary residence and you don't get taxed on, on the income, any income that you make on that which is a huge, huge yeah. tax break for us. So prior to having this dinner with this Mexican couple, we had decided to list the house. And all we were going to do is take the profits from the house and reinvest it in another place that we were going to own outright, have no mortgage over our head and rent, was, again. And rent again and just have it as an income property. And just kind of continue with this Yep. every three years, probably reinvest and, and rent it out again. Yep. So we knew that we were going to have a little bit of available cash and that coincided with this Mexican couple telling. Yep. So uh, about a month later after this dinner we had with them, they called us up and they said, Hey guys, you know, we've thought about it. We are going to sell the boat and we really would love to just sell to you because we know that you have this goal and this dream of circumnavigation. We'd love to see the boat continue on Mm -hmm. and, and all that. So, um, that ended up being our mission in a matter of a month and a half. I think we sold our house back in Colorado. We went under contract to buying our new boat, Va, and we sold the old boat. And that's that's what is the crazy story is how we sold our old boat because we were talking about how quickly they go. We were absolutely going to do it like normal people and list it on with a broker on Yacht World and go through the whole rigmarole. And the minute the money hit our account and we got under contract for the new boat, you know, Eric and I talked to her, she goes, you know, let me just try and just see what kind of movement we get on, on Facebook. Facebook. And immediately I, we had, I had a dozen yeah. calls, messages asking if this boat's still available. Yeah. And I had barely just, it was unreal. It. <laughs> it was unreal. And we were under contract with that boat with um, money and escrow within five days, five days, five days, I think. Wow. That's wild. <laughs> but it definitely corresponds to everything that I've been seeing, trying to buy those freaking boats. Cause like, well, no, it's already gone. Like you're too late. Like if you stop to think about it, you know, that's too late. Like you just need to, when you see it, you just need to be like, that's it. I want that. It's one. frustrating. I'm sure. I mean, like it's frustrating on both levels for sure. Mm-hmm. I just, it happened so quickly. I couldn't, um, I couldn't understand like, wait a minute. We just sold a house. We've just bought another boat and we're about to sell it. Like at one point for five days, we were a two boat family, which was, yeah, no, we that two was scary, boats. but um, yeah, it home. all worked out. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like the stars really aligned really nicely, just like by kind of random happenstance, like, yeah, we're selling our boat. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Would you have crossed the Pacific with your original boat? Was that the plan? 
that was the yes. plan. And we um, we didn't cross the Pacific with our boat. Um, we sailed with another couple on a monohull, and that was actually our first monohull experience. Uh, sailed to Hawaii from Mexico with them. So we got some we got some sea time under our belts and uh, miles to say the least. And so two Pacific. Crossings. I think by the time we got our new boat and we're gearing up to sail across the Pacific, it was not as scary as we originally had thought it was going to be just because we, we felt like we'd done it already. So, you know, we could do it on our boat. No big deal. <laughs> just more of the same, but with your own home. Yeah. Yes. Right. yes. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Uh, one thing I do want to ask about while we're still on the topic of the boats, uh, because I was browsing your Instagram and there was this beautiful photo of you guys holding a window uh, or which was like the escape hatch. <laughs> what was the story there? Because it's something you replaced or were told to replace and that seemed like potentially very dangerous. Yeah, very scary, very dangerous situation. It and really it is. wasn't um, one of, I would say, Fontaine Peugeot's or was it them? No, 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 no. Giot was the, the brand, the window hatches. They were recalled, um, actually, for a certain period of time. I would say so like boats that had those window installations done. 2010 to from, 2015, something like right. that. Um, there was a recall on them, and there was a few boats that had sunk underway or even just having them open. Um, and Catarans, you know, there's always this debate out there whether they sink or not, um, you know. And in the right circumstances, I'm sure it would completely sink, but they won't completely go down. But these windows were a major, major issue. And uh, yeah. we had to replace them. Every single Fontaine Pajot or Leopard. Lagoon, or Lagoon, Leopards, they all use the same. Guillaume is the brand. And they, they had a bad glue. And amazingly, there was no actual mechanical connection between the glass glazing, the glass piece, and the aluminum frame that it fits in. It was only glued in. And for for quite a few years, that seemed to work just fine. But something changed in 2010, and they continued producing these windows the same from 2010 to 2015 with no actual mechanical connection what i mean by that is there was no screws or anything actually holding that just window glue. in it was just glue and if the glue failed which it did the glass glazing could fall out and leave a gaping hole we're talking the size of a laptop even a large I mean, laptop enough for a person to absolutely escape out yeah of it's when a, the, an escape when hatch they're in they're put quite low to the waterline if people don't aren't aware, unaware of this um, most major catamarans have these escape hatches in case the yacht was to to capsize, to flip upside down, and you were trapped in a hull, you would be able to get out um, of what is now the top side, the bottom side of the boat, which is now up. Uh, you'd be able to escape out. And uh, so these escape hatches were were failing, and they were losing boats. I, I can't speak of the numbers, but there was, was more than just yeah. a couple. And... A few of them were caught just in time and people were able to stop the boat underway, get in the water, do some emergency fixes. And I know that there was some wood used and some long screws. Pillows, and I, mean, I do know pillows absolutely yeah. were stuffed into the hole just to keep water from coming in. And so, some boats were saved. Others, there was a few others that were lost. Right, yeah. And when we took ours out, I don't, if nobody's seen the video, it's quite crazy because I 
we replaced the windows and once the old windows were out and in my hand, all I, all it took was a little bit of thumb pressure against the glazing and, and the, the windows window popped, popped out. Right so very dangerous situation. Yeah. Very scary. And I've, you know, it was definitely scary at the time, but I, this is where I have like so much trust in Warren and his abilities, especially with his background in construction and building. And he's got a very little engineering mindset. Um, he was also able to fabricate something to reinforce it temporarily because there was also an issue of, of getting these new replacement hatches where we were in the around the world. And I mean, they're having to issue thousands of windows yep. to people spread out completely around the world. And yeah. so, so getting them, we had to be in a port for a certain amount of time is right. what they wanted. And that just didn't, it didn't coincide with what we were doing our sale plan. So I actually got in the water. The initial thing when we learned of this issue was I added bolts and some aluminum pieces that would actually bolt the window to the frame. Yeah. And that kept it, that ensured that it would not actually fall out. Both of them, because there's two of them, one in each hole, they both leaked water they terribly. They leaked a lot. Yeah. There was a few passages we were on that <laughs> we had to change out a, a rag, absorbing every the few waters hours. every few hours because it was seeping water in. Yeah. The windows weren't going to fall out, no. but it was just, there was water coming in. So we, mm -hmm. once we got them replaced, it was... It was a relief. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That's wild. That must have been hundreds, if not thousands of boats in production in that time. Almost thousands. Yeah. And they're tough to, they're really tough to replace. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about your Pacific crossing, because obviously that is a huge body of water. And, you know, you said you had done that trip to Hawaii, so you knew a little bit what to expect. But, well, how long did it take you to cross? And where did you end up on the Pacific side? I'm, we're, it's hard to answer that one because we sailed three or was it three or four days? Uh, we sailed about three days to, we left Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Yep. Uh, that was our launching off point. And we sailed about three days to a cluster of um, islands called the Revejijeros. They're about 300 miles off the coast of Mexico, Mex uh, Puerto West Vallarta, mm -hmm. Cabo. And they're a UNESCO World Heritage Site, so it's really known for uh, incredible diving. Yep. The underwater sea life is outstanding. And so um, we, when we sailed to Hawaii, we'd actually just passed by them and realized that we couldn't go there without permits. So mm -hmm. obviously when we made the plan of crossing the Pacific, we said we must, we, we must stop here just above the sea when we were sailing by. We couldn't believe what we saw. So... We made it a goal of making sure we stopped there as, as a stopover um, before completely undertaking the, the Pacific Ocean. And, and we were there for about a week. Yeah. And then from there, we sailed directly to the Marquesas. the Marquesi Islands. It's the first island group you get to in the South Pacific or in French Polynesia. And that sail, I think we figured, took us 21 days. Mm -hmm. So our total sailing days was 24 from Mexico to the Marquesas, although we were at sea without being on land for, for 30 week. Yeah. 30 yeah 30 days total mm -hmm. 
That's so cool. I didn't realize that there is this sort of neat island grip there because that sounds like a great little, uh, okay, let's stop for a moment. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're really isolated. They're not well known except in the diving community. Mm -hmm. um, they're uninhabited except one island has a very small military outpost of just a few men, but they're yeah, otherwise they're uninhabited. And you can't you can't go no. on shore. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all just it's all diving. lands or sorry, you can sea anchor. Base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can anchor in the anchorages, but you can't go ashore. And the conditions can get kind of dodgy. We got super lucky in, in picking our weather window when we yeah. did leave because we That's had enough, enough wind to get there. And then once you're on these islands, um, it's not very forgiving. You know, you're, you're, protected. you're still pretty much out in the open yeah. around the ocean. Um, one of them is a volcanic island that has really wild features it just felt like we were on a completely different planet but Mars. it's got this very fine volcanic ash and if it's windy and the safe anchorage is on the south side, side on the yeah. leeward side your boat is covered in this like fine powder and so once we got there we had one day of wind and the boat was covered and we had to clean all the halyards and it the was blocks awful. and it was so bad and after that it was perfect um, flat calm conditions for our time there so we could dive and then it's as if like the the wind gods were like okay it's time for you to go now remember you're doing this south pacific passage and the winds turned on and we left yep <laughs> pretty much exactly how it worked and our luck continued like that the rest of the way across the pacific we had <laughs> we had very good conditions um we had we used predict wind and the models seemed to be fairly fairly accurate for mm -hmm. our trip and it was also the time of year you know there's a certain time of year to be in certain places and so we paid very much attention to that and um we did a few seminars while we were in puerto vallarta with um some locals there and they helped us kind of like guide us exactly where we were going to start turning south um, and, and follow trade winds. and Yep. Yeah, it was great. We had a really, really good passage. Better than most. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the highs and lows of that passage because I'm sure in three weeks you can see a lot and experience a lot. But were there any kind of hairy situations or was it just beautiful sailing the whole time? Squally. I mean, everyone kind of tells you it's, you're going to experience a lot of squalls and they're not um, to be completely scared of. Dismissed. But, oh. you know, they come and they come quickly and they also go away very quickly. So those mm -hmm. moments, you know, you get so complacent, you get so comfortable with the sails up and the conditions. And then next thing you know, you have this wall of rain and wind coming right at you you can get spanked if you're not prepared yeah and you're not paying close enough attention but yeah there were four of us we had two crew members with us so we always had a watchful eye on the horizon day and night night we had scheduled watches during the day it was just kind of whoever was awake mm -hmm. and it, we always had you know there was always mm -hmm. somebody awake and ready to watch the boat read a book whatever mm -hmm. And do you find that the earlier trip to Hawaii was a good sort of taste of what Definitely. was to come? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. We had very similar conditions on our way to Hawaii. We were we were very lucky to go to Hawaii. Um, the monohull was a great experience. And um, furthermore, the owners of that boat are lifelong sailors in their 60s or 70s, mm -hmm. maybe. And <clears> they <throat> had a lot of information to share We learned with us, a lot. So we learned a lot from them. <laughs> And I just felt like it was one of those things. We just bit off what we could chew at the time. Yep. You know, if, if COVID never happened and we crossed the Pacific we two years ago, too. we would have been fine. 
um, our nerves would have been a little higher. I Definitely. think initially wouldn't have been as comfortable. No, mm-hmm. but I think it's always the same feeling every time we leave the side of land. It's it's intimidating. It's you know your nerves are shot a little bit, but because nothing's guaranteed. Even, no. you know even the best weather predictions aren't going to be a hundred percent accurate. Mm. Um, the boat there always may something pop uh, up. So a safe passage is never guaranteed. So our stomachs always flutter a little bit leaving land. But as soon as but we, that's good. As soon as we do leave land and then we don't see it for, for a day or two, I'm like, okay, Whew. this is fine. This is great. This is not bad. <laughs> nice. Well, okay. So you guys have you've done a lot of sailing in you know relatively short amount of time in a few years. You know, seeing the Caribbean kind of up and down, seeing the Sea of Courses now across the Pacific, and now exploring the the South Pacific. So I'm wondering if you would have any tips to someone who's just kind of uh, on the early stages of planning, like just planning on buying a boat and, you know, making the transition and getting into the lifestyle, like any, any great wisdom to share based on your experiences so far? I would just say, take your time. Um, there's no rush. Sailing is a slow activity in general, unless you plan on racing or being in a part of any regattas. You're, you move at a five not average on a boat. (laughs) So there's time to kind of assess situations and really play it out. And I think that's super important. I over-prepare, I guess, in terms of, for me, I'm the one that's like provisioning and and making sure the boat's fully stocked with food. Warren's, on the other hand of things, is making sure the boat is fully stocked with spares. That I think is super important to know your boat that way and have certain things as extras because they are going to fail certain, you know, pumps are going to break or, you know, winches are going to crack or something like that. So, um, having the spares is, is a must, I think, um, keeping good inventory of what you have on board. I would say my two biggest pieces of advice would be that the biggest thing that we learned that was beneficial was learning how to reef. That was one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things that we could do to be safe, um, while sailing. When we got really comfortable reefing, it upped our confidence and it really increased our safety. Um, We just do it very often. Whenever we feel like we need to, we'll do it. It's not anything that you should be scared of doing and uh, it can save your boat. It can save you guys. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest thing that we learned. And my biggest piece of advice actually would be, from my corner at least, is getting to know the boat mechanically because man, these things are just not like homes where you can, um, where they pretty much just work. Um, even our boats only, well, six, seven years old now. Um, and our old boat was, is only eight years old. So they're, these are not ancient boats. These are quite new in the boat world. Um, they're young boats and they, they, they all constantly break. They just mm. are always needing things. So if you are not mechanically inclined that's fine. Don't, don't worry. Don't, That's, let, don't that, let that stop yeah, you, no. but you're going to have to be at some point and you're, or you're going to have to be used to paying somebody to do it for you. Um, because there is, th- this is one of the biggest things that I was really surprised about on the boat is just how often a pump will go out or the water maker needs is- has issues, or there a little teeny water leak springs out from somewhere that you have to find and get to or something electronically goes down and you have to trace a wire through the hole and so for me sometimes i'm working on something on the boat and i'm just wondering how other people who didn't own a construction company or grow up on a farm like i did 
how do they get by? Like, mm-hmm. because these boats are just ridiculous how they are constant attention, constant attention, mm-hmm. attention. Um, and I hope I'm not discouraging anybody, mm-hmm. but rather just giving a heads up that there's, it's a lot of mechanical work that mm-hmm. goes into these boats. So I guess that would be my advice is be prepared for that. And mm-hmm. if you aren't somebody that is mechanically inclined or looking to have to really give a lot of attention to your boat like that, um, that's fine, but you're going to have to pay somebody that does. And we have plenty of people that we cruise with who aren't mechanically inclined. And when they get into port, they got to find some electrician or a plumber or somebody to or come over. Or another cruiser, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The community yeah, yeah. is pretty incredible in yeah, that that's sense, true. too. That everyone did something else in their previous lives prior to boat life. Yep. And so uh, somebody has a skill or a trade that and they're are willing good to at help. and are always willing to help. So yes. that's also uh, that was helpful, obviously, in our first year of sailing is definitely anyone who we did come across and meet, you know, they helped had us. some piece of advice or some tips or tricks or helped us to make our lives better. Because I think naturally, if those who are deciding to to live this life or choose to live boat life um, long term, naturally, you you're wanting change, something different in your mm-hmm. life and you want more. So you you already have this openness for change. Um, but. I'll tell you what, it's a lot of change all at once. Yeah. And so mentally preparing yourself for that and um, reminding yourself, like, what was your original reasoning and purpose for being out here is important to kind of center around. Because while it's super exciting, uh, a lot going on, it's um, it's as if one side of our brain never really detaches from the constant change that is going on. <laughs> Yeah, our alert level is, is has spiked over the last five years. And- yeah. That's such a good reality check. And honestly, it's just a really helpful things to think about when you are preparing, like, you know, because a lot of people have plans to move on to boats and, you know, it's easy to dream about it. But then when you start doing it, it's like, right, I also need to work full time and move the boat and fix the boat and, you know, do all the other things. So it's like, hang on, something is going to give, like, this is a, it's a lot. So that that's a good uh, little reminder there. Yep, yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. Uh, obviously, you are very active on YouTube and Instagram. So where can people go find you out in the online world or real world uh, and, and all that? Yeah. So we post videos every week on Wednesdays. So that's something to put on your reminders. But um, if you go into YouTube app and search We Sail. Uh, you'll find us right away, hopefully. And then um, our website is wesail.world. That's it. And it has a little bit of everything as far as all of our uploads, some photos, kind of where we've been, where we've gone. Our email. Um, email, WhatsApp. Uh, we're also an open book. So we are open to having anyone ask us questions or let us know or if they have concerns about something or, you know, we want to be able to communicate that we think it's super useful for others out there who are looking to, to have this dream as well. We're certainly paying it forward because we had received so much help um, along the way and now it's our turn. And uh, yeah, we try to post as often as we can with when we do have the, you know, Wi-Fi signal on, on Instagram, which is a little bit more up to date uh, with where we are and what we're doing than our YouTube channel itself. Um, we're a little behind. I would say a couple months behind as far as real time goes, but we're trying. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And you mentioned earlier when you were boat shopping and getting started that you were 
you know, visiting boat shows and getting all of that. Uh, are you going to be at any boat shows that we might be able to um, say hi, actually, in person? Actually, Yay! yes. Yeah. Yay! This year, we are flying all the way from French Polynesia to Annapolis, Maryland for the, the boat show there in October. Yep. We've been invited to be part of their YouTube creator um, tent yeah. booth. And so we'll be among a few other really fantastic yes. channels and uh, getting to meet uh, fans in public and maybe do a little promoting, but just, you know, Have get a good to time. be there and be part of the yeah. action. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story and uh, your advice and great tips with me today. Well, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. This yeah. was fun, actually. Like <laughs> a lot of it, other yeah. sailors, we love talking boats and sailing. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Warren and Erica for this amazing chat. And if you are going to the Annapolis Boat Show, go say hi to them. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of this season. And as always, thank you for listening. Next week, it's time for an epic family adventure in Alaska. And that one is going to be packed full of advice and adventure. Stay tuned for the next episode. And don't forget that you can come say hi on Instagram or Facebook. Or you can shoot me an email at hello at liveabirdsailingpodcast.com. And bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.